Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you doing? Doing great today, thank you. I'm sitting now in Steve's office in the Infocom Development Authority of Singapore, otherwise known as IDA Singapore. And Steve is currently the Executive Deputy Chairman, IDA, and advisor to the National Research Foundation of Singapore, which is a lot. But before that, I want to sort of start off from Steve's career and what his deep experience is, particularly in the enterprise technology. So Steve, tell me, how did you get started in technology? A long time ago, there was a company called EDS prior to its acquisition by HP, and it was built by a tech entrepreneur called Ross Perot. And it was all about the early days of outsourcing technology. So that was a company that was based in the city that I graduated from university in, and they were an important employer, and so that's where I went. And then you come to Asia? Yep, came to Asia. So my whole career has been based on the perspective of go somewhere that there's new things to learn, go somewhere that there's new experience. And so early in my career, basically less than one year after joining EDS, they asked me to go to London. And from London, I started traveling and working in South America and different parts of Europe and Asia. And so having done that for a long time, I thought the next big step is to live and work in Asia. And so I moved out here at the end of 1996 and had a chance to work in some different countries along the way. And here I am. So you almost lived here for 20 years, but you worked in EMC and Symantec and your coverage is actually Asia Pacific. So probably the first question to ask is, how do those experiences actually help to shape your thoughts about the region? Well, like everyone should know, there is no such thing as Asia, just like there's no such thing as Europe. There's lots of countries, but the difference between Asia and Europe, if I think of it in that high level, is Europe at least has an EU. There's a monetary union and so on. Asia, of course, we don't have that. So for me, it was always, what's the market in Japan? What's the market in China? And then even if we say, what's the market in East China? Or what's the market in Southern China? So even if we get down to that level, we always have to think about the most granular area so that we can really understand the market and the customer's needs. And that's part of what I'm trying to bring to YDA. Mm. And because EMC and Symantec, they are actually more known to be enterprise technology companies, which Mm -hmm. people, I mean, these days we usually talk about consumer technologies. I probably should also ask you their importance in the Asia market. Mm -hmm. How do you, have you seen the enterprise market have developed in the last 20 years, putting out all this infrastructure across different countries in Asia? Well, there's huge changes just with two or three basic scenarios. Cloud computing has made a huge difference because now it's enabled technology to be in one place and consumed in another. And Mark Benioff is one of the pioneers for software as a service. So the licensing and revenue models of companies changed. My own company when I was at Symantec had to go through that transition. And quickly on that, I did have a lot of experience with the consumer tech, retail tech, because a lot of semantic software was sold in Harvey Norman and elsewhere or on, uh, online. But the scenario is big changes around how to secure the data, how to move the data have really had an impact on enterprise software and enterprise hardware as well, which is the collapsing cost 
So when you think of buying a piece of equipment, now you more or less rent a piece of equipment, including from the big players like HP and EMC. And then you come to IDA, which is a government agency in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your roles and responsibilities in IDA as the Deputy Executive Chairman? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. We have three roles as IDA. Well, more than three, but here's the three basic roles. We're the telecom industry regulator, we're the chief information officer for government, and we're the tech industry promoter or builder. So to pursue tech industry, we work with all of the big firms, of course, but we also love working with startups. So we have a VC arm under IDA, which puts money to work in promising startups. We do a lot with accelerator programs and so on. And we build tech talent for Singapore, and we oversee the personal data protection commission, which is how do we protect privacy of data. So we have a lot of things we work on. I will get to that in much more greater detail later, but I want to talk about one of the most interesting initiatives that have started in Singapore. In fact, I was in a recent geek camp uh, with our, one of our ministers, Vivian Balakrishnan, talking mm -hmm. about Smart Nation. And we have all these open source geeks or thought leaders were tweeting out saying that you know Singapore has been the most forward thinking in terms of thinking about Smart Nation, about opening the data up. So I've read also the Smart Nation article in Forbes where part of the initiative's goals are actually to tackle global challenges such as urban density, aging population, healthcare mobility, and sustainability. So in IDA's perspective, what is the mission and goal for Smart Nation? So in IDA's perspective, it's what Prime Minister Lee outlined mm. roughly a year ago. But if to echo the points that you're raising, Smart Nation is really an objective to bring a lot of different parts of the ecosystem together. So Singapore has great startups, a lot of VC capital, we have great universities, we have big MNCs that can serve as mentors, and of course, a single layer of government, supportive government. But the question is to do what? And so now if we think about tough challenges, we wanna work on tough challenges, not on incremental minor things. So aging population has implication on healthcare, has implication on transportation. We know we cannot build a lot more fossil fuel burning power plants. So now the question is, how do we think about energy efficiency? So Smart Nation is bringing all the parts of the ecosystem together and applying those to some really difficult problems. Importantly, those are also important problems to a lot of countries around the world, not just Singapore. How does it work as a platform for different stakeholders? For example, for government, public and private corporations and citizens? So everybody has to pull on the rope generally in the same direction mm -hmm. for something important to happen. So when we know that we need to continuously strive to improve services to citizens, we know that innovation is important. Where does it come from? Often in the startup community or in the university research lab or from a young professional that has a wild idea. So now the question again is, how do we capture that or tap into that? So some people use the word co-creation, but hackathons, for example, would be an area in which we'd say aging population, healthcare at home. And then you get 300, 400 people in a room and you say, let's have a hackathon weekend to brainstorm some ideas and prototype some answers. That's what we're trying to do in terms of getting everybody involved. And for example, if for private corporations as well, I know it's not limited to just local corporations. It's also bringing corporations from out there to come to Singapore and to invest in this ecosystem mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an important point that you're making, which is 
Metcalf's law, if you think of networks, so network is made more powerful the more nodes on the network that you have. So we think of the same thing in startup community. If we are connected with San Francisco and Tel Aviv and Shanghai and Berlin and so on, by definition, we're going to have more important and more exciting opportunities than if we say, let's just be good teammates with one other location. So we're trying hard to make sure that we are very well connected because these are exciting problems to work on. That means big companies in San Francisco are often calling us and saying, how do I get involved? And that's part of what we wanted. How are these initiatives arranged under the Smart Nation banner? Let me just take an example. Let's look at smart communications and transport. How does the government work with the private corporations and developers to facilitate data availability for communication in transport? For example, taxi data. <laughs> So there's a couple of things in there. We work, yeah, we've got sort of the right. data piece in there. We've got the how do we work together piece in there. So part of our goal as Singapore government is to make sure that we make as many data sets available in the public domain in machine readable format so that it's consumable and usable as we possibly can. So as we pass now, I think from memory, the 11,000 plus mark, we think that we're getting a lot of data out there. Now there's some data that we need to continue to put more and more into the public domain and we have that goal in the months ahead. Transport is one. But when you take a look at it, data is more valuable to the moment of freshness, so to speak. So just like you could say food is valuable but it's only most valuable when it's fresh. So data that's one second old or one minute old or one hour or one day and as you go further down the pipe, the value of that may change. So we're trying to be better at getting as much real data, real-time data to be in the public domain as opposed to six-month-old or 12-month-old data in the domain. You also leverage on that data as well to build applications that actually also engage the citizens as well mm -hmm. at the same time, not mm -hmm. just releasing it out to the public. Sure. That's all right. Sure. So, but part of it is, as you know, data is a double-edged sword. You always have the value from it, but you have the concerns from it, which is, could it be misused? Is it anonymized to protect privacy? So there's some uh, non-trivial problems that we have to continue to work on. But yes, the goal is this idea of co-creation as much as flooding the market with data it's also what can we do together with people both to serve citizens better but also to create some new things together i particularly like the smart living initiative because you have actually designated an area where actually developers can test we in singapore most housing is actually arranged in public housing where flats and then they have certain amenities around it and you have sort of designated two areas. One is in Pongo, which is in the northeast of Singapore, where you actually allow people to test technologies to do smart, where we can turn things into smart, we could actually turn amenities to be able to allow citizens to have access to services. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it's early, so the answer is yeah. there's probably not a lot more that I can offer <laughs> than what you've just said. Yeah. But the idea is very simple. Here's an example. As citizens age, and we have this challenge like every nation in the world, people getting older and living longer means what? Means the social structure changes, care for hospitalization changes. So now the question is if we have someone who's an elderly person living alone, and let's say they are afflicted with dementia. So now you have how do we track or care for them in case they become disoriented and lost? So these types of issues we have to think about. And then there's the wearable tech role, there's the sensors in the home that may be by consent placed in someone's home so that you can help care for them. So we're experimenting with how these different technologies could help us care for someone so that 
they can live the life that they would prefer to lead versus having to be admitted to a care home. So that's what we're experimenting with. In fact, this is part of the, we have a growing geriatric population and actually the foundations have been laid by the housing development board mm-hmm. in terms of building flats for older people to live in. So now it's actually putting the smart technologies mm-hmm. inside it mm-hmm. so that it's more accessible and easy to use. But this is a great example of the power of what we're trying to do for Smart Nation, which is because 80 plus percent of citizens live in housing that's built by Gov, we then have the opportunity to introduce IoT standards for new build. And we have the opportunity to ensure that there is a level of technology available in that housing. Now, in most other countries, that problem would have to be solved house by house, whereas we can solve it in the thousands of units scale. So now the question is bringing housing and medicine and transportation and energy and so on together in a more integrated way. That's an example of what Smart Nation is Mm. trying to do. So then how about cyber infrastructure and security parked within this initiative, given the increasing importance in the ICT industry itself? Mm-hmm. Well, cybersecurity is one of those never going away and only becoming more complicated topics. So it used to be about endpoint, and you had malware, and if, as long as you could release another patch or another update, you could sort of prevent the malware from hitting your PC. Of course, that's changed a lot now. So with everything being mobile, there's now concerns about how do we have defenses against mobile and lots of uh, bad guys, not just for purposes of causing disruption, but actually economic chaos or terrorism and so on. So Prime Minister set up Cybersecurity Agency, and that CSA now is a coordinating body for cyber across Singapore. IDA continues to play its role in cyber in Singapore, and you can imagine that Smart Nation spends a lot of time as an architecture thinking about securing the network, securing the endpoint, how do we secure, even down to the mobile payment on someone's smartphone, how can we continue to think about that level of security? So we spend a lot of time with industry, and we spend a lot of time with white hat guys that are trying to think about penetration testing and other ways of helping us improve. And that takes me to the startup ecosystem. But we'll start from Singapore first before we get to the Asia Pacific. So just to take some numbers. So from 2004 to 2015, we see a growth of from 24K to 42K of startups uh, year on year. With, of course, a lot of new focus areas such as IoT, but I think FinTech is getting very, very popular. So I think the first question I have is, what do you see as the major challenges for the startup in the Singapore ecosystem? We have so many things that are in our favor in Singapore. We have more money available than ever before. And I don't mean government money. Historically, it was some government money. But there's now a huge amount of VC and also PE money coming in. So we have institutional money. We have private money coming in. At the same time, we have great universities, we have great research institutes, so the raw ingredients are there. The challenge for us continues to be for us to have the ability and the intention to think big. So Singapore is a relatively limited market on its own, and so our challenge is always, are we building a company for Singapore, for Southeast Asia, for Asia in general, or for the world? And so sometimes we have to continue to step back and say, let's think bigger. Mm. And also the challenge with talent as well. That has also been part of it. And I know that IDA has done some 
initiatives to actually focus on it. You want to talk a little bit about the tech talent side? Well, tech talent is an ongoing challenge for us and for a lot of countries. UK just put out some statements saying that they're going to need, I don't know how many, 10,000s more of engineers in the next couple of years. So we're in this boat together. But we just launched an initiative, for example, with one of the biggest IT firms in Singapore a week ago, in which we're going to co-fund the ongoing expense of helping that company train great professionals in analytics and cybersecurity. They will keep some of those great employees and they'll release others by agreement back into the market for other companies to be able to build on them. So we want to see more and more of these programs to help develop great tech talent in Singapore. Given that the ecosystem have, have evolved so much, how do you see the founders? I mean, you have engaged with various founders. I know mm -hmm. you spoke in panels with Darius, Chong, yeah. Like, yeah. 99.co, Roger Egan from Raymart, has also the sort of entrepreneurial attitudes and mindset have shifted as well in the younger generation? Yeah, I think the, the reality is that I was talking to someone, I don't remember where it was, at some dinner party recently, and they were giving me feedback that now many big companies are having a little bit of a hard time hiring some of the people they want because these young professionals have decided to go startup route instead. Now, I think that's a great thing because anybody that wants to take the challenge of starting a company can always turn out to be a great employee for a bank or a tech company down the road. So I think we're making some great progress. But as leaders like Roger and Darius and others, uh, Eduardo obviously here helping get a lot of people excited about the system, then it just sets some great role models for others to say, hey, I'd like to do that too. How has IBA been helping to evolve and foster this nascent startup ecosystem. I think we are recently, I think in the top 10 of the startup cities in the world. So specifically, I, I guess there are a couple of things, I think in your role with the Infocom Investments mm -hmm. Group, how do you help private corporations to actually start accelerators? Particularly, I, I, I saw the uh, Singapore Press Holdings, uh, mm -hmm. which is a media company that does a with partnership with Plug and Play and also launching the new bash in the mm -hmm. well-known area in Singapore called Block 71, <laughs> yeah. 73. Yeah. So now, okay, I'll use Block 71 yeah. to aggregate everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, part of what we do, you've outlined, and BASH uh, is our acronym for Build Amazing Startups here. But the whole idea is it's a co-working space, and it's a big space where we have investor pitch location, we have fabrication location, we have places for companies that are moving from startup to scale up, and that's also a really important thing. Sometimes it's, it's okay to start a company, but can you scale to the first uh, 10,000 or 100,000 users? So how do we scale companies? And we're right across the street from some great research institutes. So we're trying to do a better job mixing the researchers and the startups. So we're, we're working on those things. So all of that's underway. What IDA is trying to do is just be a connector. So through our IIPL, our Infocom Investments Sub, which is where we have our, our investment portfolio, we want to be a great connector. So we have an office in San Francisco, an office in London. We're giving speeches in a lot of different locations primarily to make sure that people know what we're working on and that we'd like to work with them. So that's the role we're playing. Mm. So when the Smart Nation Initiative happens, how does the startup ecosystem actually plug and play with that? It's, it's hand in glove. There's no way that we can do the things that we're trying to do with disrupting healthcare, disrupting financial technology. You mentioned fintech a few minutes ago. So you go back to the examples of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. You think about the role that blockchain will play, not just in fintech, but in other industries over time. So a lot of this innovation comes from within the next great startup. 
So Smart Nation requires that we work closely with, learn from, and ideally benefit from some of the tech that these guys are building. I saw I want to take on the question of ecosystems. I mean, given Singapore is a very small market and we have to expand globally in day one. Mm -hmm. And of course, by expanding to another country, it means that everything has to start all over again because you need to build the same networks. It's, it's all about scaling. Hence, do you think it's actually better for the entrepreneurs to tackle markets with scales such as the US, China, India, or focus on smaller markets such as Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, or Taiwan? I'm sure it's never good to... Differ. And it's also case-by-case case basis, right? Yeah. Never good to disagree with, yeah. with the uh, host. But here's what I'll say is I don't, I don't think that they're always starting over. Mm. I think that if you think of the model, if you plan a business uh, approach that includes a big market, it doesn't have to be... You go from Singapore and then start over in Indonesia. I mean, especially today with cloud and with so many different technologies, without AWS from some years ago, you really did have to buy a room full of servers and a whole big comms rack. Now you can ride on an AWS or anybody else, Azure, and get your business off the ground. So here's what I would say is, I don't think that it's a good thing to go after the biggest elephant in the forest with the first time you've gone out hunting. So one school of thought is, Yes, go after a big market, but after you've proven that what you're working on has some traction or some market fit. So what we're trying to do is say Singapore can be a great place for the air under your wings, and then you can get some, some lift off. But going to China first thing is like the little mouse going up against the elephant, may not be the best approach. What we are trying to do is say, don't build your business around a single market. Build your business for the biggest possible market, but perhaps start that penetration in a slower way. Get some customers locally, prove things out, support them well, and then expand. But what we've seen is some entrepreneurs build a market based on the 20 square kilometers that is around wherever they are based. That's a deficiency that we're trying to help suggest to people. Don't do that. But also don't say, okay, India's huge, let me go there first. China's huge, let me go there first. You do have to understand the markets you're going into. And that's what we're trying to be helpful through these networks is when you're ready to go to China, let us try and be helpful because of the network effect. We have lots of relationships through our VCs and through other people that can help us. Mm. And just one more question. So I, I guess when we talk about Silicon Valley, they are like, they have a fantastic ecosystem with everything aggregated within them. Uh, talent, funding, etc. Um, and a lot of cities rush to try to mimic their success. Of course, I don't think that that is the right way to go. I guess what I'm asking is that Singapore would want to have its own version of Silicon Valley, but in the, in the name of something else, <laughs> in the name of something else, with another vertical area. I saw a talk. What are your thoughts on that? So, so I'll tell you the one thing that we absolutely won't do mm -hmm. is we're not going to try and come up with a name that includes Silicon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the fun thing is our, our friends, and I say this with all due respect, our, our friends in London and so on, we, we tease them sometimes because, you know, you've got this Silicon roundabout or something or, you know, New York is Silicon Alley. And so obviously uh, we, we all remember that it was Silicon Valley because that's where semiconductors were being manufactured. And so the idea that it's Silicon made sense. Everybody else has sort of come up with a version of it. What we are trying to do is what we believe is right for us. But to be clear, we want a deep partnership and connection. So Silicon Valley is a really unique link between universities and big companies and startups and investors, and they're all in this sort of hothouse. And that's 
partly a lifestyle choice. It started off in the 50s as a great lifestyle choice for people that were early days in silicon manufacturing. And so now what we're trying to do is to say, well, Singapore has some great things to offer too. Proximity to Indonesia and a lot of the Southeast Asia markets, still close enough to be relevant for India and China, but more familiar is what Singapore offers and so on. So what we want to do is be a great place that people look at 10, 15 years from now and say, wow, how do we be like them? Mm. But of course the area of coverage because Singapore is a financial hub, like something like fintech may become something that we become dominant in. Good. You can see that actually mm-hmm. happening sure. for certain industries. I, of course, I don't want to confine to certain industries, but you can see that tr- trend happening somehow. Yeah, because I mean, London is a fintech capital for Europe. And as Mayor Boris Johnson said when he was here last year, Singapore is a fintech capital of Asia. And of course, we like that sort of description. So we want to play to our strengths. But sometimes people talk about the market and the market is not big enough, but we want to turn constraint to our advantage. I mean, we can easily talk about the example of Israel. Israel is not the biggest domestic market, but it's punching above its weight on the international stage with some amazing companies and exits. So I think in this case, sometimes this uh, constraint can help us really think creatively. That's what we're trying to do. So there may be themes. FinTech may be one. We'd love for healthcare to be one because we think we have to work on that for ourselves. We'd love transportation. So when we're looking at autonomous or self-driving vehicles, we think Singapore ought to be a leader, not just in thinking about the design, but also in putting them to use. So we have a lot of ideas about how do we use autonomous vehicles in the years ahead as one of the leaders in this space. All the car manufacturers would like to do that with us. And a lot of the tech companies would like to do that with us. So we want to use those things to our advantage. Mm. And so what keeps you awake at night? That's the last, that's the penultimate so, question. So, <laughs> so, so it's simple. And that is, I don't think there's any constraint on us in terms of input, resource, everything that we need is, is here. But the one thing that makes it tricky is the comfort or the acceptance of things not working out the way that we would have liked initially. Right, so the biggest role, and, and you'll know from your own experience, but if you look at any cool thing over history, the idea that it works first time is not realistic. So every cool thing is because you try, fail, try, learn. And so what, we're, what we have to think about now is how are we comfortable with this idea that, okay, try it, didn't work out, adjust, try it some more. Even professional golfers hit it into the forest or into the lake, and they are paid professionals, and yet, it doesn't work out well for them. That's why a score of five under par is considered a good score. So we're too hard on ourselves sometimes in thinking, if we didn't plan it properly, this would not have occurred. But, but we have to be comfortable with the idea that sometimes it doesn't work out. But that's how you learn. So Steve, help my audience. How do they find you? I know you are a avid Twitter guy. <laughs> Trying to be. Uh, I just think it's a great way to, to talk about topics. So Steve Leonard SG is Twitter, and I am not in the spirit of disclosure. I am a former Facebooker because I ended up finding so many things that I didn't feel were a great use of my time. So for me personally, Twitter is what I like to engage with people. So Steve Leonard SG, and I'd love to make sure that we continue discussing any of these topics, right? Agree or disagree, doesn't matter. We just have to talk. We'll definitely get you back. So you can subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E. We are distributed through Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Or you can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com. Cause Steve, once again, thank you for coming on for this interview. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.